Welcome to the Propel Podcast, inspiration and training to grow your church. I'm your host, Larry Witzel. Seventh-day Adventist churches grow differently, and our goal with this podcast is to offer practical training for effective evangelism in the Seventh-day Adventist ministry context. Today, we'll be sharing a presentation by Dr. Roger Walter, Senior Pastor of Adventist Community Church in Vancouver, Washington, and the President of Evangelied. He's the author of Evangelism Intelligence, with 35 years of experience as a pastor, church planter, conference leader, and leadership coach. Roger and I were both part of the church planting movement in the late 90s and early 2000s in the North Pacific and Mid-America unions, and I've appreciated the clarity with which he explains evangelistic processes. In his talk, Roger talks about how the language we use is not clear to our unchurched friends. He points out that most of the activities at a church are for the current church members, and he emphasizes the importance of making friends with people outside the church. He also provides an overview of the evangelism pyramid and how to apply it in your church evangelism planning. We'll hear Roger's talk in just a moment. First, I'd like to mention the sponsor of this episode, Adventist World Radio. AWR will help you become a digital missionary using just your cell phone, allowing you to interact in real time with questions and prayer requests from people locally as well as around the world. No matter if you're on your couch, at the beach, or in the carpool line, you can help lead others to the true source of healing and peace. You can learn more about Adventist World Radio at awr.org. With that, let's go back to the 2023 Propel Conference and hear Dr. Roger Walter give his presentation called The Evangelism Pyramid. Quite a few years ago, I had a lady come to my church. She'd been there for um, maybe two years, maybe almost two and a half years. And she came up to me one day. She's, she was about my age. We were both in our mid-20s or so. And she came uh, and she says to me, Roger? Can you tell me who Alan B. White is? I'm like, Alan B. White, what are you talking about? How could you go to an Adventist church for two and a half years and hear the name Ellen White and think it's Alan for two years, you think it's a guy? I don't know, I don't understand how it works. But, but a few years ago, we had a, uh, after the 2015 General Conference, a lady in this church, she's a member here, her husband was on the uh, General Conference Executive Committee, and so they went to the General Conference session, and she says, she says, could I get up and talk about it? And she got up and talked about the GC. And I was thinking about all of our new members who don't know what the GC is. And I had to talk to her, and I said, can you explain a little more what that means to people? You know, so like, can you just say a little paragraph to describe where you went? Like, we went to the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists, the world headquarters of the denomination that we are part of here, you know, and, and explain yourself a little bit so that the language is more clear for people. You know, we use the term like potluck, cradle roll, you know, think about it from a non member's perspective. Why are we rolling cradles around? Um, I was, when I was a new, I, I wasn't even a Christian yet, but my mom drug me off to church. Um, it was a Seventh-day Adventist church, 
And we went to church the first week, and, and I didn't know anybody. I didn't know any of the language. I didn't, I'd never really been to church. I'm about 12 years old, and I'm looking around, and as we're walking out, I'm just kind of eyeing things, and this old lady calls another old lady a dork. And I'm like, what? Why is she calling her a dork? You know, and, and instead it was dork us, you know? <laughs> When you stop and think about, and, and we used to serve new Tina, and I was thinking at the time, what was wrong with old Tina? You know, I had no idea. Or Loam and Linda, um, you have ties, turn in your ties and your offerings. When I was a kid, I didn't know all of the things that happened. What's, what's the Lamb of God? I didn't know what grace was, except when I was walking along and, I, and I'd trip, and, and, and my dad would say, way to go, Grace. You know, I, that's what I, I, the other option for grace was at Thanksgiving, somebody would say to my grandpa, hey, grandpa, would you say grace? And it was something that was really long, we were supposed to bow our heads and shut our eyes with, and it was just keeping us from eating. That's all I knew about. Um, part of outreach and evangelism is learning how to clean up your language so that the outsider understands what we're talking about. Every group has insider language. My son's in the Navy, and he's always talking about the HBTF, watch, you know, I have no idea what all the acronyms in the military are about. And, but they, every group has their insider language. Now, what we don't understand, oops, let's back up just a second. What we don't understand is we forgot, this is what Bill McClendon was talking about, last night. He says, it's not about the what, it's about the why. Remember when he said that last night? And, and it's the idea behind why we do what we do. Now, here's what happens to most churches. They forget the why, and they think the, they think the reason we do church is just for us. When you stop and think about what we do as a church, how much of it is done just for us, right? How much of it is done just for us? So I want to show you this chart where if you, if you look, this is going to be a four-part quadrant, but if you look in this quadrant, there's two groups of um, non-Christians. Those are the formerly churched and the, and the never churched. Now, if you want to take a look at that line between the never and the formerly churched, this is the unchurched non-Seventh-day Adventist, that line is getting bigger and bigger, that never churched. When I grew up, most of my friends that I grew up with have never been to church. They don't know what a church is. When I, when I became a Christian, they teased me a lot about becoming a Christian and made fun of me and whatnot. But, but I met somebody, when I moved back here to the Northwest, um, I called one of my friends. I actually remembered his parents' phone number. And I called him up and I said, what's Barry's phone number? And, and we, we met for lunch. He says, so what do you do? I said, well, I'm a pastor. He says, yeah, but what's a pastor? He had no idea. He'd never been to church his entire life. The non-church Seventh-day Adventists, the quadrant below that is the churched non-SDA. There's two groups of people within that group, the passive and the committed. People that are committed to, to following God, people that are committed. And then there's people that, you know, just like go to our church sometimes that, that are kind of like, ah, we show up when the doors might be open, when it's convenient, that kind of thing. You go to the third quadrant and it's the unchurched Seventh-day Adventists, those who used to be active in church. And you find that there's the angry, bitter ones, there's the passive ones, and there's those that are close to coming back. 
there's a, there's a lot of reasons behind what people, why we categorize people in different, different ways. But the angry and the bitter ones, we, we run into a lot, don't we? We understand people that says, oh, I used to go to the Seventh-day Adventist church. They were so legalistic. You know, they kicked me out of high school and I never went back. You know, whatever the reason, there's a lot of things that go on. But, but there's people that are angry. There's people that are like, eh, I could go to church. I might not go to church. I, you know, and there's people that are like, ah, it's time for me to go back to church. And the last group are the church SDA. You have the new ones, the main ones that just fill up the body, and the DDDs, I call the definitely devoted disciples, the 3D Christians. Now, when you stop and think about what those people are, and, and you think about that Me Church video, where do we do everything we do at church? It's down here where the definitely devoted disciples are, right? When we go on a, on a hike, we invite our church friends. When we go uh, to it, when we're having a party, it's just for the church to have the party. When we are doing something at, uh, you know, at our house, we invite our church friends over to it. What would happen if we moved that circle to encompass people who are formerly church, who are close to making a decision, who are maybe not even Adventists. What would happen if we, if we changed the focus, the why, not the what of what we do, just why we do it? What if church was designed to reach people for the kingdom of God? What if church was designed that people who walk through the doors, never been to church in their whole lives, and they can understand what's going on? Because we're not using the insider language of GC and Dorcas and, you know, and, and turning in our new Tina, you know, for the potluck and, you know, whatever else. There's, there's just all kinds of things. And so I, I um, here's, the, here's the deal. If you, if you back that circle back down to the bottom, the average person who becomes a Christian, if they don't have if they don't have something like five to seven close personal friends within the first year, they leave. They're not staying around. They're not gonna hang on at church. They're gonna move on. They're gonna take and, and move someplace else. And, and, and we find out often that if we baptize somebody and they used to go to a different church, if they don't make good friends within the first six months or even a year, they're not staying. They're going to go back to where their friendship circles are, no matter what they believe. I had a guy here just a, a year and a half ago Maybe it's, yeah, maybe two years ago. He, he kept giving offerings electronically, and you, we have the option to write a note when we give electronically. And he says, I love this church. They're teaching the Bible. They're teaching truth. He came down to my Bible marking class, which is taught in this corner after an evangelistic series. He comes down, and he's like, he's eating it up. He's like, this is so new. The Sabbath, I've never seen it. I believe it wholeheartedly. And six weeks later, they went back to his old church. And it's hard because we all understand that we make decisions at events, but we follow through with them with our friends. And that's crucial to understanding this, this idea of the evangelism pyramid. So I wanna, I wanna go through this evangelism pyramid with you. There's, um, you can see it in the book, but I've got uh, my slides up here. It's, in, it's also, it's in my book that I told you about. Uh, it's missing one of the steps. I'll tell you about that when I get to it. The first step of the evangelism pyramid is friendship. It's building redemptive friendships in the community. 
building redemptive friendships to, to introduce them, hopefully, to the name of Jesus. I had a friend next door. He was borrowing tools from me, and I would borrow tools from him, and he bought a lawn tractor, and we both lived on two and a quarter acres, and he says, you work, if you want to mow your lawn with this, it's not lawn, it's like formerly alfalfa, you know. He says, go ahead and borrow my tractor. So I did, and, and, and one day I came home from church, and I said, Greg, I was, I was uh, talking about you at church today. He says, you were? I said, yeah, when I was preaching about not keeping the Sabbath. I didn't even know he knew about the Sabbath, right? I mean, he lived next door to a pastor, right? So he kind of, I knew he kind of knew. But he's like, about not keeping the Sabbath? I said, no, what a great thing it is to have good friends. And he's like, oh, that's cool, you know? And one day I went over to him and I said, did your wife tell you I'm ticked off at you? He says, no, why? I said, you keep coming and getting those tools that I borrowed. Just leave them in my garage, would you? You know, so, you know, we had a lot of, we, we built a lot of friendship and, and the idea behind the friendship, the base of the pyramid is to build friendships in the community so that they someday might be willing to listen to the gospel. Now, here's the story. My, my friend Shane, he was new to church. He'd been raised Seventh-day Adventist. They were, he was raised in a Seventh-day Adventist home that, that also smoked a lot of pot and drank. And so it wasn't what you would call your average committed Adventist church, right? Or Adventist family. So he was, he was raised um, thinking party was the best thing to do. I get up front. I'm teaching this brand new church plant about friendship evangelism, trying to teach him to go into the community that we're not just going to rely on flyers. We're not just going to rely on having seminars at the church, but we need to get into the community and build friendships. If you like fly fishing, go to the fly fishing shop and, and make friends with the people who, who fly fish. If you like uh, sewing, go to the sewing clubs. If you like riding bikes, go to the, riding, the bike club, you know, and, and get to know people that like things that you like. Shane got, he got really excited about this. And he comes to me like the next week and he says, Raj, I got it. I said, you got what? He says, I got that friendship thing. I love it. It works. I said, really? What'd you, what do you mean? He says, you know, Stacy and Roland. I said, yeah, I know Stacy and Roland. He says, we took him out drinking and dancing last night. This is Sabbath morning. He tells me he took him out Friday night. I grabbed him by the throat. I pulled him close. Well, you did what, Shane? He says, did I do something wrong? I said, I think you forgot the redemptive part of this. He says, what do you mean? I said, it's not just making friends and going down to their level and doing all the things that they do. It's about being redemptive and pulling them up to Jesus. He says, oh, no, I screwed this up, didn't I? I said, yeah, kind of big time. I said, but here's the deal. We all do, Shane. We all goof it up. So go redeem it. We later baptized Roland and Stacy. I baptized their, both of them. I baptized all three of their kids. One of them, after they moved to Hawaii, I, uh, I, we were over in Hawaii, and I baptized one of their kids in the ocean out there. Building friendships has to be the foundation because all of a sudden, when people think of Seventh-day Adventists, they don't think of cult and weirdness. They think of, I got a friend that goes to that church. The next step in the pyramid is Kindness. Doing acts of kindness. There's a book out on the uh, um, Advent source table on acts of kindness out there. Doing acts of kindness where you're, where you're reaching into the community and serving the community and, and doing stuff that, that makes sense. Um, one time we took flowers to the local hospital and instead of giving them to the patients, we gave them to the nursing staff. They were blown away 
Because they do a job, yes, they get paid, nurses get paid pretty well, but they get, it's kind of a thankless job sometimes. And we walked around to all these different nursing stations and said, we just wanted to show you God's love in a practical way with no strings attached. And they're like, wow, that's incredible. We, we one time, we went door to door handing out nine volt batteries. Just saying, we want you, we want you to, to remind you to change your smoke alarm batteries. Here's one to get you started. We just wanted to show you God's love in a practical way, no strings attached. We used to go to the soccer fields and hand out bottles of water and say the same thing. And, and you know, we'd go after church on Saturday, not to play soccer, not to be in the sports league or anything else, but just, it's hot. Hand out bottles of water. People are like, great. I remember one time we were handing out bottles of water at the state fair. And, and we had these coolers out there, big coolers full of ice and water. And I'm, I'm going like this. I'm grabbing the, grabbing the water bottles and handing them to kids who are handing them out. And this lady walks by and she says, so thanks. And she stops and she says, who's doing this? And I told her the name of the church. And she says, I've heard of you guys. I'm like, awesome. That's what we're trying to do. Because I, the, the goal would be that somewhere along the line, they say, you know, I have a friend that goes to that church. And they're always out doing really nice things. Wouldn't that be a great testimony? And so, I, I mean, I think of my wife and I walk every, just about every day. We walk a lot. And rain or shine, my wife likes to tell me there's no such thing as bad weather. There's only bad clothing. So we got rain clothes. And, you know, she takes me out rain or shine, storm or hurricane. We're out walking. And we've met so many of our neighbors doing that. We walked up... Um, uh, the guy, a uh, guy that lives down the, down the street from us, he's got this house that sits on some property. The house is multicolored. The, the roof, he's, he had a leaky roof, so he covered it with old tin that he has. He's in construction, and it's red, white, blue, red, white, green. You know, that's the color of his roof. And, and he's, Skip's an interesting guy, kind of an eclectic guy. Um, Years ago, he was the mayor of La Center, which is about 15 miles north of here, and he brought casinos into the town. Um, and, but one day, we got to talking with him, and he says, hey, would you do me a favor? Would you pray for my daughter? We said, yeah, what's going on? The doctor thinks she's going to lose her baby. He might have to abort it. And we're like, absolutely. Can we pray right now? I said, he says, oh, yeah. And And it was about six weeks later, we ran into him again, and he's like, she didn't have to abort the baby. The baby's coming in a few more weeks. It's so exciting. And he was so thankful that we had a chance to pray for him. I, I think of it, another guy we met, his name's Greg, and we would meet him. He'd be walking, and we'd be walking, and we'd stand and talk. Sometimes we'd talk for 45 minutes, and our walk would take a lot longer, and my kids would go, where were you guys, you know, while we're out walking? We're like, well, we're talking to the neighbor. We made friends in the community just hopefully to share something positive. I think of, uh, we had a lady and guy that lived across the street from us. And one day, we live on some property, we live on almost eight acres. And so my kids are, we're up on a little bit of a hill compared to our neighbors across the street. And they said, Dad, there's smoke coming. I said, what? And he said, come here, come here, come here. And so I go outside and I look and there's not just a little smoke, there's like a lot of smoke going up. And, and I looked and I could see flames across the street. And I called 911. They hadn't heard of it at this point. Their neighbors were gone. Their house burned to the ground. But we were able to stand there 
and hold their hands and pray with them because we had made friends with them. We helped them move when it came time to move. We, we invited them to come to different things and they did. But I'm just saying, when we build a friendship, can you imagine what happens to the local church if there's a lot of people in the community who go, I know somebody who goes to that church and they're my friend. And they're always out serving and doing something good in the community. The next step in the pyramid is, is about sowing. Sowing brings out the idea of Bible studies, uh, science magazines, glow tracks, those kinds of things. And, and periodically we do these pushes in my church where we really say, let's get, let's get 20,000 glow tracks out over the next three months. Well, we just did a Bible study mailing that my associate pastor, Rochelle, um, coordinated this last uh, fall. Uh, fall? Yeah. And, and we, we got like 30 Bible studies started, you know, and it was just like, hey, let's, let's do something significant to share good literature that comes out. I mean, if anybody produces good literature, it's the Seventh-day Adventist Church, right? We believe what we write, we, we write a lot, and, and we want to share that. And it might be videos, it might be, you know, but we're sowing seeds out there. So we have signs, news boxes around the city. We have uh, people giving out glow tracks. We hang up posters. You know, we hand out books. My friend Greg, um, one time, you know, this is a guy we run into when we're walking all the time, and we're walking, we're talking to him, and I said, hey, I got a book for you. He says, yeah, what's that? Because we got talking about end time scenarios and where that's going and, and, and what's it doing. I said, and I said, hey, could I bring a book to you that talks about that? Would you be interested in reading it? He says, sure. And I, as I, the next day or two, whenever I was able to get it to him, I handed it to him. He says, I'll get this back to you. My gut instinct was to say, no, no, you can keep it. But I realized if he thinks it's a loner, he's more likely to treat it of value and give it back to me. Now, when he goes to give it back, I'll probably say, no, you can keep it, you know, but I, I want him to read it. I want him to think that there's some value to it. So imagine with me for a moment. I got a friend that goes to that church, and they're always out raking people's yards or picking up parks or cleaning the neighborhood up. They're helping an old lady paint her house or handing out water bottles. Or they're doing nice things in the community. And you know what? I've read some of their stuff, and it makes sense. Can you see how we're furthering things down the road a little bit? The next step in the, in the pyramid is to bridge that information. It's the idea that, okay, we built a friendship, we've done some kind things, we're sowing seeds of information, and now we're going to bridge it. We're going to do a non-religious event at the church now, it doesn't mean you never talk about God, but we're going to do a financial peace seminar. We're going to do a cooking school. We're going to do a health class. One time, we, we turned our whole church into an amen clinic where we brought in doctors and dentists and, and uh, eye doctors, and we, we turned the whole church, and there was people lined up way out in the parking lot to get in because they don't have health insurance, and to get free eye care, to get free dental care is huge, Right? And so it was a bridge event. We used to do a thing here called God's Closet that uh, was big. We had 350 people come through once a quarter um, here to just talk, I mean, just to receive free clothing for their children. It was huge. It, but, but a bridge event is designed to get people in the doors of the church on a non-religious event so that they can say, wow, 
I got a friend that goes to that church. They're always out serving in the community. I've read some of their literature, and I went to a financial peace seminar at their church, and the, the roof didn't cave in on me. Now, a lot of churches do really well at some of these things. There's some churches that, you know, as Bill talked, I don't know what, what makes churches grow, he says, but what, it, what, but, you know, what the techniques is, but what he came down to is passion and vision and faith. But there's a lot of churches that do friendship pretty well, and, and some churches are always out doing uh, compassion, you know, stuff and serving in the community. And some people, some churches really do good literature and, and bridge, but a lot of churches, they just do this cycle over and over and over and over. And they never seem to pull the trigger on getting people to join the church. So the last step of the evangelism pyramid is designed to get people to make decisions, and that is a reaping seminar. We do between one and two reaping seminars a year, every year, and, and we're baptizing 30 to 50 people a year most, most years. Um, we even baptized, we, we did an evangelistic series one time uh, with Brian McMahon, the evangelist, and he had a, because COVID had just started six months before, he says, everybody's canceling. And I said, and at the same time, he says, would you guys consider doing another seminar with me? I said, why don't you come do a seminar with us? We had three or four weeks to get ready for this, and we ended up baptizing 27 people. Everybody had masks on. He was speaking with a shield on, you know, and it's just like, why are we stopping this? It, it's the idea that, I mean, think about it with me. I got a friend that goes to that church. And that church is always doing some really good things in the community. They're serving in the community. And I've read some of their literature and I've attended one of their seminars and it didn't fall in on me. And it was really good information about finances or healthy cooking or parenting or you know, whatever else. I think I'm gonna go to that Revelation seminar that they're having. Can you imagine what would happen? What that does for people? I think of... My friend Greg, who we met when we were walking, and he's walking. And I, and I think through the idea that we've given him some literature, we've talked to him, we've prayed with him about different things going on in his life. We invited him to a seminar we were having with Ron Cluzet here, and, and he and his wife came, and they, and they came almost every night of the meeting. They didn't make a decision. And, and the way Greg describes himself, he says, I'm a good Christian, but I'm a very poor Roman Catholic. Because he doesn't go to church. And, and here's the deal. Now he's, he's actually dying of pancreatic cancer. He's only about six years older than me. And he's dying of pancreatic cancer. And the last time he saw, he saw us, we stopped in at his house. We, his wife took us into the bedroom. And I said, man, I'm sorry. We haven't been here for a long time. And they said, no, you are some of our best friends. And I'm like, wow. And he said it again. I'm, I'm a good Christian, but I'm not a very good Roman Catholic. Now, I didn't get him on his knees to accept salvation. He'd already done some of that. I didn't get him to sign on the dotted line to become a Seventh-day Adventist member. But he wasn't my project. He was my friend. And so to be able to pray with him in the... I mean, he's still alive at this point, but it's not going to be much longer. He's on hospice and he's, you know... I just think, you know... he. He, was, he actually was the mayor of La Center, and we used to talk about the politics of it all and all that. 
But the evangelism pyramid is built around a cycle of creating a culture of evangelism in a church because if a church is building friendships in the community, they understand the why. Because when, what would happen if we had a bench designated as the fool's bench out in the lobby and we said, when you invite your friend to church and you're foolish enough to believe that they will come, that you're gonna be out there waiting for them. And we're gonna pray for the people sitting on that bench every week as they wait for somebody to come. What would happen to the church if they were actually making friends in the community? We don't make friends in the community very well as Adventists. We build walls. We, we have our own school system. We have our own music system. We have our own you know, uh, health system. We have our own systems. And we kinda, we're kind of isolated away from everybody else. We have to break those walls down. And if we start making friends in the community and then we move and we start, start serving in the community and we're sowing seeds all the time where people are grabbing every Sabbath, they're grabbing Bible studies to take to their friends or they're grabbing glow tracks so they can hand out while they're riding the bus to work or you know, if they're just doing all kinds of things. What would happen if we would do some of those things? What would it do to change a church? Because I don't expect my church members all to have the gift of evangelism. That's what we hire evangelists to do. Because evangelism is the one event in Adventism that is designed to get decisions to join the church, to become a Christian. Most other things, we don't. Now, we'll talk about that in a later seminar. But then the last part of the, of the pyramid is to keep people. And there's a whole bunch of stuff you can talk about about keeping people, but the, here's the deal. The Great Commission says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's the calling of the church, right? That's the calling of the church. And so I, I want to challenge you with a couple of more things. If you went to... Uh, seminary or if you're a pastor, and sometimes even if you just went to college, you may have been introduced to this. There's a life continuum. It, when I was in school, they called it the Engel scale. They still teach it to people, but the Engel scale basically says there's two pieces of, of society, and one side is evangelism, one side is discipleship. They meet at the cross. And Engel, when he designed a scale, said there was like, uh, I think he's had seven or 12 steps um, to say, here's where people are at the very, at the far left of the continuum. Here's where they are. And, they t and there's like seven or 12 steps to get to the cross. And once you get to the cross, it's not over, right? Like that, that evangelism pyramid is everything leading people up to the cross and membership. But it takes us, then the next part of that is to take us into discipleship so that we get people to go long-term with us and stay with us. Um, yeah, let's just keep going for a minute. A few years ago, well, let me back up. When you stop and look at that continuum, it takes steps to go to evangelism, steps to become fully devoted followers of Christ. What happens when you get to the, all the way to the right of the continuum? Okay? So a few years ago, some people from this church, friends of mine, my wife and I are on the, which way? On the left. 
I have three kids down on the right that climbed with us and families and friends that climbed with us. We climbed Mount St. Helens. Now, I don't know if you've ever done mountain climbing, but I didn't have crampons or anything like that. And every step I'd take, I'd slide backwards a little bit. I'd take a step and it would slide back because it's, it's slushy, it's springtime. And it was tiring. And several of us in our team were saying, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. I mean, I, I climbed a mountain years ago and I put my skis and my poles and my boots in my backpack and I was going to ski off the summit of Mount Hood. And I got about halfway up and I said, I am sick and tired of this extra 35 pounds. And I threw it in the snow and I said, I'll get it on the way down. There were some of us in this team that wanted to go down, but when they got to the top, the thrill of being at the top was huge. The, the views that we got to see over the crater of Mount St. Helens and the views of other mountains that we could see from there, here's what, here's what I'm saying. This life continuum, what happens when you, when, you, when you climb a mountain, what do you do when you get to the top? Hmm? You celebrate, yes, but you also have to come back down, right? Now, coming down a mountain, oh, that's a blast in itself. If you've never glissaded, we, we were just sitting down on our, on, our, on our rears and putting our feet in front of us, and we, and we would steer with, you know, our, our ski poles or, you know, hiking poles kind of thing as we would try to run down, and we just slid down the mountain like a giant sled. It was a blast. When you get to the top of the mountain, you have to come back down. What I'm trying to teach my church, and I'm trying to teach anybody that'll listen, is that part of evangelism and discipleship is teaching people to go back and disciple somebody else, to build a friendship, to serve in the community. So when I baptize somebody, and I'm doing my Bible marking class down here in the, in the corner of the worship center here, when I baptize somebody, I'm trying to teach them your best option now is to go back and share what you have learned with somebody else. Make a friend. Serve in the community. Sow good literature. Let's come bring, invite them to a bridge event that we do at the church. Because here's the deal. So many people in society are lost and don't know where they're going. They have no direction, right? I mean, just... Spend five minutes on CNN or Fox News and you'll see that life is crazy weird, right? I don't care which side of the political spectrum you are on, it makes no difference to me. Everybody seems lost in our world, isn't that right? And it's absolutely crazy. But here's the deal. I think as Christians and as Seventh-day Adventists, we know where to go and we just gotta stand up and point the way. We have to stand up and point the way so people understand where they're going and how to get there. What would happen to your church if people started making friends in the community? What would happen to your church, to our churches, if they started making friends in the community and tore the walls down and said nothing but saving the lost. We're going to win the lost at all costs. And if that means making friends, I'm going to learn how to fly fish. I'm going to learn how to bike ride. I'm going to, I'm going to make friends with my neighbor who, who drinks and parties. My next door neighbor, when they moved in, I went over to greet him and said hello. And he's got tattoos running up all his arms and stuff. And I'm like, that's fine. I, I'm not offended by that. And he says, we talked for maybe five minutes, and then he says to me, he says, hey, let's get a beer sometime. 
I shrugged my shoulder and said, okay. I'm not going to get a beer with him, you know. I, there's just not, I'm just not going to do it. But, but in the course of time, we've been able to make friends. One day I showed up here at church and a guy came and visited from Alaska who had used to go to this church. And he says, hey, I've got some um, fresh halibut fillets. I brought them from Alaska for you. You know what I told him? I'm a vegetarian. I don't want those. No way. He brought them down from Alaska to give to me. And so I took them, and I took them to two different neighbors. There were three fillets, and I took them to two different neighbors. And I said, hey, I'm a vegetarian. I got given these. I just want to give them to you. They were like, whoa, that's awesome. Fresh halibut. You know, it was awesome for them. And they loved it because we had been making friends. Well, what happened to our churches if we made friends with our neighbors? Most of us don't even know the next-door neighbors' names. What would happen? What would happen if we started serving in the community and instead of making us Saturday Adventists, we became seven-day Adventists where we were out in the community, serving in the community, taking the church outside the walls of the church consistently, constantly, all the time. What would happen to us if we also took literature with us when we went to work, when we went to the school, when we, wherever we were, we were always handing literature out to people or we were filling signs, news boxes or giving Bible studies. What would happen if people actually started reading, even if it was short, just a little bit about what we knew and then they showed up at a bridge event? Financial Peace University, a how to stop smoking class, uh, you know, some of these things. What would happen if, if some of that stuff went on and, and took off for us? I'll tell you what will happen. Your community will be ready for a reaping seminar that gathers decisions for Christ. Years ago, I had a friend I used to go fishing with. I just did catch and release. I never liked fish when I ate meat. And this is a different Greg, but Greg worked for the Fish and Wildlife Department. He taught me a lot about fishing. And we would do these volleyball barbecues in our front yard and backyard at our house. And we... um, we would just say, we provide the grills, whatever you want to have grilled, you bring. Because I just, I just know that if I serve a big Frank to a non-Adventist, they're probably going to throw up, okay? Because those who ate meat, the vegetarian hot dogs are nasty, okay? And I served a, a garden burger to a friend one time, so just try it, see what you think. He, We'd known each other a long time. Took a bite of it, and he says, it's mushy, you know? So we would have these volleyball barbecue things in our yard, and we'd say, whatever you want to grill, whatever you want to grill, you'd bring it. And I'd go to the people doing the grilling, and i said, can you keep the meat off of this grill and just do the veggie stuff there? I don't want pork chops, you know, in my veggie burger. And we play volleyball in the front yard, and we're out playing volleyball one day. And I, I hit the ball, and, you know, we're watching the game, and my friend Greg drives up in his pickup. And, and we're right at a stopping point. I say, hey, Greg, how's it going? He says, great. He says, hey, Rod, he reaches in the back of his pickup. What, where do I put this? It's an eight-pack of beer. 
You know when you start making friends in the community that things are going to get messy? And I've got a dozen church members standing around watching what the pastor's going to do. And I said, great, put it in the fridge, Greg. I don't think it ever came out of the fridge. Nobody else was drinking. And Greg knew I didn't drink. He was pushing me a little bit. He was testing me. Are you going to condemn me? Are you going to say, get that nasty stuff out of here? We don't do that around here. I was just like, I don't care, Greg. I just love you. I want you to be here. When we left that church, they had a potluck going away party for us. And Greg shows up to say goodbye. And he brings salmon casserole. I don't like salmon. My wife has never tasted meat in her entire life. We're the first ones through line because we're the guests of honor. What do you do? I'm like, this is an Adventist potluck. What am I going to do? So I dished it up. My wife dished it up. My wife fed it to our one and a half year old all night long. But... <laughs> I didn't realize where I lived. It was in Sweet Home, Oregon. And the guy behind me says, hey, is that salmon? And I have this pollock? You know, and everybody else, it did. no fear that it wasn't going to get taken. I didn't have to eat any. I could have let it go and it would have been fine. But Greg knew I loved him. And he was willing to listen because he saw us doing kind things in the community. And he saw that we had good reading material. He didn't come before we left, but his wife came to an evangelistic seminar because of some of those other things. And we baptized her. Because this evangelism pyramid builds a cycle in the church that goes round, and maybe it should be drawn in a circle, Larry, instead of a pyramid, but you go up one side and down the other and back up and back down. But it goes round and around and around, mixing metaphors. (laughs) But round and around, and the church as a culture of outreach and evangelism that is unstoppable. Now, at the Propel Conference, we put a lot of emphasis on reflection. Don't just zone out listening to these presentations. Take a moment to stop and think about what you've heard. What was one big idea that jumped out at you? How can you apply what you just heard at your own church? What are you inspired to do? When this episode finishes in another minute or so, I encourage you to pause for five or 10 minutes and just let your mind wander. This kind of reflection can be really powerful. Okay, that's it for this episode. Special thanks to Dr. Roger Walter for speaking at this year's conference. This has been the Propel Podcast, inspiration and training to grow your church. The Propel Podcast is sponsored by the North Pacific Union Conference of Seventh-day Adventists, and it's produced by the crew at Sermon View Evangelism Marketing. I'm Larry Witzel, wishing you God's richest blessing in your evangelistic journey. Please join us again next time for another episode of The Propel Podcast. Mm-hmm.